0: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: Welcome to FT Politics, a weekly podcast on British politics from the Financial Times. I'm Sebastian Payne, digital comment editor, and this week we'll be discussing the beginning of the EU referendum campaign and whether Jeremy Corbyn is going to help the Remain cause. To discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined by the FT's political columnist, Janan Ganesh, our business editor, Sarah Gordon, Chief Political Correspondent, Jim Picard, plus Labour commentator, Aisha Hauzika. Thank you all for joining. So, the EU referendum campaign has finally begun. We now have two months of full-on campaigning action from the Leave and Remain side. Those official campaigns have been selected and we've seen the first speeches from Boris Johnson on the Brexit side and Alistair Darling on the inside. So where does the landscape lie and what can we expect to see over the next few weeks? Um, Sarah Gordon, one of the things that's happened this week has been the official designation. Now, the IN campaign, which is Britain Stronger in Europe, there was only one campaign to get that. But there's been a tussle between various parts of the Leave groupings now and Vote Leave, which is very much the conservative driven group has been selected. What difference does that make to the campaign? And what kind of arguments are we going to hear from Vote Leave?
2: Well, I think the difference that it will make is that there will be less fractiousness within the Leave campaign side. I think that The reaction of the Grassroots Out campaign, which was backed by Aaron Banks and by Nigel Farage and and UKIP, who were the contenders for the official campaign designation. They first of all said they were going to challenge the decision in the courts, but have now rather gracelessly backed down. I think that they recognise that they really need to focus their firepower on the opposition rather than being divided among themselves. The main arguments that the Leave campaign uses, and the, the two which resonate apparently most strongly with voters, are that we are net contributors to the EU budget, and if we left, we could spend that money more wisely and efficiently here, for example, on the NHS, and it's to take back control of our borders. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's an anti immigrant message, but it is about control of borders, taking back control, for example, also of regulation. They also argue that we will be able to negotiate our own trade deals, that the EU has been extremely inefficient and ineffective at negotiating trade deals, and that we would be much better at it on our own. So, Janan, if
1: that's what we're going to hear from the Leave side, what are we going to have from Britain stronger in Europe, who obviously have the great ass of the Prime Minister at the head of their campaign? There was a great picture this week which showed David Cameron, Paddy Ashdown, and Neil Kinnock phone banking, speaking to lovely votes this week. What sort of things will they be saying? And are we going to see a lot of that of politicians who are all for in sharing a platform from different parties?
3: Yep, they'll share platforms. But I think the emphasis at the moment is on Labour being a prominent voice in the Remain campaign. This week, David Miliband flew over to give a pro-EU speech and Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, did one as well. And the reason they've coordinated that now is they're slightly worried, the Remain campaign, that Labour have been a little bit mute on the subject and you need Labour voters to turn out on June the 23rd. And therefore they've redoubled their efforts to be sort of vocal on that subject. But it will be fairly cross-party and I suppose the ultimate strength they have is to almost embrace the idea that they represent establishment opinion because you have four ex prime ministers currently alive who will all be on the pro eu side, Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, John Major and David Cameron himself. Put them on a platform together, it is slightly divisive, it does reek of the elites and the establishment. But I still believe that swing voters when forced to choose on a big existential question, unlikely to ignore the entirety of the cbi, a large number of foreign governments and those four prime ministers all arguing in the same direction.
1: Because, Sarah, uh, that's what the Leave campaign are very much trying to run. You know, we are against the big global corporations, the vested interests, the Brussels gravy train. Those are all things they're going to be talking about. Is there
2: any proof that resonates with voters? Well, yes, clearly, in that the Leave campaign is inching up in the polls. I mean, they're getting their message right in some ways. And I certainly think it's a powerful drum to keep on bashing because, for example, with President Obama over this week, You can actually turn every message of support from however influential a political or a business leader into its opposite. That said, I don't think, I mean, it's not the biggest plank of the Leave campaign, nor indeed its biggest strength. I mean, its strength is that Leave voters are more motivated to vote than Remain voters. And that is really the biggest thing that they're going to be working on. And I think it's the biggest challenge that the Remain camp is struggling with.
1: Because we saw in a poll this week that it's about 39, 39% or there's some polls that have leave ahead, some have remain ahead based on whether it's an online poll or a phone poll. But as you said, this key thing of turnout here, that a lot of the outvoters we've discussed before are very motivated and the Remain ones are not so. Do you think that as the campaign goes on, the Remain people will get more vocal or are they always going to be much quieter in this?
2: Well, I think at this same stage in the Scottish referendum campaign, there was a lot of worry about the campaign for Scotland to remain in the UK and there was a lot of talk about, oh, the campaign's just not good enough and it's not strong enough. I mean, in a sense, a negative message is always such a powerful one, isn't it? It's somehow easier to get the headlines from that side of the debate. That said, I mean, what, the, the way the Remain camp are trying to motivate voters is to really emphasise the uncertainty and the fear factor the fact that if we have, as they say, up to 10 years of uncertainty after a vote to leave, that that will not just affect the economy in the short term, but also jobs, you know, money in your pocket. And I think they're hoping that you know, in the end, people who are undecided, that fear will motivate them to vote to stay.
1: We've seen the first big row of the referendum already, Janan, which is these leaflets that £9.3 million was spent just before the referendum campaign officially began of sending these to every household. And it states the official government position which is obviously to stay in, and least reasons why now, as well as the arguments which Brexit supporters say are not right and not accurate. They've also taken a, um, a big objection to the fact that leaflets were sent in the first place, saying it's unfair and what have you. How does that play with voters? Do you think you know, people think, oh, here's a leaflet, this is quite helpful? Or do they think, oh, here's the government telling me what to do? And do the arguments stack up for you that what you've seen inside the leaflet? I
3: imagine the voter reaction is total indifference. So they neither are Massively moved by the leaflets, nor aggravated by the fact that they exist and they've partly funded the leaflets through their taxes. It is interesting, therefore, that the Leave campaign has become really exercised about the leaflets being sent out. And I imagine, not being too cynical about it, that what they're doing is preparing grievances in case the result goes against them. So on June 24th, if the country has voted to stay in, especially if it's been reasonably close a few percentage points, they can say, Well, the finances were skewed in the other side's favor. The government was heavy-handed with things like these leaflets. You had foreign interventions from people like Barack Obama, who's in town in the coming days. And so what they're doing is preparing a case to undermine any narrow result that, that goes against them, which they're entitled to do on a political level
2: they have a point though don't they i mean it, there was something rather unimpressive about the fact that the government spent 9 million pounds of taxpayers money a few only a, a week before the strict rules on campaign financing came in which is today a friday where none of the official campaigns are allowed to spend more than 7 million pounds and other official campaigners other than political parties are only allowed to spend a maximum of 700,000 pounds so i think that there is actually an argument to be made that that's on the financing front.
3: I don't think they do have a point. They're within the rules because they've met the deadline. And above all, and this is something the Leave campaign seems confused by, the government has a position and it's pro-EU. And if it would be perverse for them not to use the resources available to them and the rules to campaign on that position, and they've broken no formal rules, I don't think they've broken the spirit of of the rules either. And uh, it just seems bizarre to me that a government which has a position on an absolutely existential question, biggest referendum we've had really since the war, would not use its muscle to get its way.
1: So Sarah, the other thing, of course, is we've talked a lot about politicians. Barack Obama's coming over and is expected to say that Britain should sustain the EU. And Philip Stevens has written in the FT this week pointing out that every single ally of Britain around the world wants us to sustain. But what about business in this sense? Now, the Vote Leave campaign have John Longworth, who was the Brexit martyr, as I believe he's been described. He was the um, chair of the British Chamber of Commerce and he got kicked out for saying some personal views about Brexit. He's now become a Vote Leave supporter. You know, is he going to be the sole person we're going to hear in? Big voice for Brexit. Who are those people going to be, and what's that argument against what the government's saying in the leaflets?
2: Let's not call John Longworth the Brexit martyr. <laughs> the um, I mean, it
1: is just what, just what I've heard, just what I've heard out and about. Yeah, not, not my term. It is
2: it is true that the Remain campaign certainly has a much more stellar array, both of national and international business voices backing it. The Leave campaign has struggled to find big business names. And in fact, we had this week a rather grandly named Future of Europe Summit, where we had different business voices making the cases pro and against. And on the pro-staying side, we had people like the chief executive of Siemens in the UK, Jürgen Meyer, who, you know, they employ 14,000 people in the UK. They have 14, I think, factories around the country. And he made... uh, points such as if we, it's not that we will reduce our investment or our hiring now, it's more about the factories of the future. It's when we're making a decision about where we will put money in 10 years' time, we are less likely to put it in the UK if we vote to leave. And similarly, Benoit Potier who is the chairman and chief executive of a chemicals, a French chemicals company called Air Liquide, but more importantly, he also chairs the European Roundtable of Industrialists, which groups together, the 50 top chief executives and chairman of Europe's largest multinationals. He said, you know, it's about pricing. Your hurdle rate for investing in the UK would increase. So i.e., the price that you put on the risk of investing in the UK would go up, which would necessarily make the UK a less attractive destination for foreign direct investment. And he drew the comparison with Spain and Italy before the euro, where you're making decisions, is, you know, do you invest in France or do you invest in Spain, do you invest in Germany or do you invest in Italy? I mean, John Mills, who is the big Labour private backer and deputy chairman of the Leave campaign, he made, I think, the counter argument that foreign direct investment is attracted by growth. The UK economy has in recent years done better than the eurozone economy many economists believe our prospects are stronger and that as long as the UK economy is vibrant and supported by correct government policies to support that growth, foreign direct investors will continue to be attracted here.
1: So when you hear all, those, all that, John, it's quite hard to say against. So, you know, for, you know and ordinary voters, they obviously, might, those who are leaning towards leave, might have these patriotic feelings about being told what to do. But they're not going to ignore all the common sense of people like that when you hear your employer your boss, big companies, how
3: can the Leave campaign begin to combat that? They're summoning what they have, which is some business leaders.
1: People, people like John Mills, for example.
3: Yeah, and some foreign government statements which are not pro-Brexit, but at least ambivalent, and leave open the possibility that were Britain to leave, there's a potential for deals to be done, trade-wise and diplomacy-wise. But really, if you can't win on that territory, which is the appeal to authority then you have to fight on the opposite of that, which is why they're playing the anti-establishment card. The danger of doing that, as I've argued in columns before, is I think when people want to rebel against authorities and elites, they do so in elections which ultimately don't matter, which is why in 2000, the first election I ever voted in, they voted for Ken Livingston to the disappointment of Tony Blair, who didn't want him as the uh, Labour candidate. They vote in European elections for UKIP and in local elections and so on. But in general elections and in really important referendums, I think elite opinion still is quite persuasive.
1: And now on to Jeremy Corbyn, who gave a speech on the EU this week, not surprisingly. Now, I've not been a particular fan of Mr Corbyn's speeches, which in the past have normally been as exciting as a piece of wood. But this one was actually a little better. He only had one point to make, which was that Britain should remain in the EU and Labour voters should get out and vote for Britain remain in the EU. And it came across all right. So does this mark a turning point for his involvement in the campaign? Is he going to be out there to make sure Britain votes in? So, Jim Picard, the history of all this, of course, is that Mr Corbyn is actually a bit of a Eurosceptic. He voted against the Maastricht Treaties, the Lisbon Treaty. He voted out in 1975. And actually, until he became Labour leader, was still espousing a lot of Eurosceptic views. But suddenly, he's now saying we're in. Did you find it convincing at all?
4: Jeremy Corbyn is on a political journey, like all politicians. And he's not the only person who's said loads of Eurosceptic things over the years, but has come out for the Remain camp. Mr D Cameron used to be a Eurosceptic to some extent. Boris Johnson clearly has gone the other way. But, I mean, the thing about Europe is that it's massively complicated and people don't necessarily feel evangelically one way or the other. So we've got to give him a bit of latitude. And he made quite a compelling case that only by staying in Europe could you protect workers' rights, protect environmental rights, clean rivers, all the rest of it. And he had this quite compelling argument that there'd be a kind of bonfire of rights should we pull out of Europe.
1: Because I think the key thing was that phrase, warts and all, is why we should stay in, which is acknowledging there are problems with Europe, as Lord Stuart Rose, who's running the Stronger In campaign, has also said. I think what was the bit of the speech that I actually found quite compelling looking at the argument was the bit about if we leave, Britain will become this kind of very low tax, low regulation, the bonfire of rights thing. So to Labour voters, it's sort of kind of saying, well, do you want to vote in and be with me, Jeremy Corbyn, or do you want to vote out and be with people who are more of the right, say, you know, Nigel Farage or John Redwoods or what have you?
4: And also, Corbyn won't appreciate me saying this, but one of the best things about Tony Blair as a debater is that he would always concede that the opposition had a point before going on to say... For X, Y, Z reasons, I also disagree. So Corbyn is saying there are problems with the EU. He's obsessed with this idea that it wants to privatise and deregulate everything. He also doesn't like its free market ethos. But on the balance of probabilities, which is how I think most people are going to vote come June the 23rd, he is plump for the inside.
1: So, Aisha, what did you make of this speech then? Again, you know, Jim said that the idea that he talked a lot about, because he used to say the EU was essentially a capitalist plot. But he essentially, he was trying to, you know, he painted this vision of why he's against further integration. Also the old Tony Benn thing about removing democracy from where people are. Do you think
5: it was good? Did you think it was convincing? I think it was definitely the right thing to do. And to quote a phrase that his team have tried to push, it was a bit of, I think, straight talking, honest politics. I think he made a kind of honest, grown up argument about Europe that lots of Labour people have really been craving. He said, look, Europe is not perfect. But in order for us to try and change it for the better, in order for us to make it more progressive, engineer it more towards um, kind of socialist values of workers' rights and protecting and advancing workers' rights, we have got to stay and have a seat at the table. And I think that was the right thing to do. I think it was the responsible thing to do. And actually, it's something that the Labour movement has really been like craving for a long time. Uh, Party members, the PLP, the trade union movement. I think everybody's been really waiting for Jeremy to step up and get involved.
1: Because I think you've seized on a very key point here, which is that we heard a lot from David Cameron and other Remain campaigners. But Jeremy Corbyn has not said that much so far. A lot of it's been left to Alan Johnson. You know, how does Alan Johnson come across? He's obviously respected as a former Home Secretary and former Shadow Chancellor as well. And a lot of people, I think, would still talk about him. It would be great if he was leader, but that's a sort of separate issue here. How important is it now for Corbyn to keep doing this? Or is that fine, he's done it once, he can now go back off and talk about steel or whatever interests him?
5: He's absolutely got to stay on this message. Alan Johnson has done a great job. Um, you know, he's been going around the country, speaking at CLPs, but he's not the leader of the Labour Party. And he doesn't have this huge appeal that Jeremy Corbyn does, particularly to young people, particularly to Labour voters in our heartlands. So I think what's essential, he's made this argument, it's a good, honest, credible argument, it's authentic to his values and where he is, but he has got to keep on this message now.
4: I think if we're going to start talking about Labour's heartlands, there are millions of people who we don't yet know whether they like Jeremy Corbyn or not. And that may not be tested for quite some time, you know, obviously local elections coming up, but... There is still a theory that his kind of liberal North London, Islington, you know, focus on environment, focus on Palestinian rights and all the rest of it. I mean, does that necessarily strike a chord with the people who are tempted by UKIP? They're worried about immigration. They're worried about low pay. And he, in his event yesterday, I was there at Senate House in North London. He didn't talk about immigration at all. And he was asked by a reporter afterwards, what about immigration? He doesn't have any issue with it at all. But a lot of his core voters do.
5: I think he will stick on his message about workers' rights, because I think that's the closest thing you get to like an immediate fear argument. And I think he will easily be able to say the argument that, that you introduced this with the Tories. So if we left Europe now, we would have a Tory majority rule. And the first thing they would want to do is cut back red tape, which is code for get rid of workers' rights. And I think even though people have concerns about immigration, they are also worried about their own rights and protections. So I think he can still motivate that group of people.
4: The question I wanted to ask, and he only took one question from any newspaper, which was The Mirror, who are obviously more loyal than, than most newspapers. And I, I think separately there's a bit of a trend for leaders not to be taking much in the way of questions from the press. Cameron stopped doing press conferences and all the rest of it. The question I wanted to ask Mr Corbyn, which I wasn't able to, What's the issue of he's saying that the Tories are in power in London, and therefore, if we vote to leave, they'll they'll do all these terrible things? I'd love to know whether he'd still be in the Remain camp if Labour was in power, and therefore we didn't have those issues.
1: I think that's a very good point there. But actually, just going back to your thing about in what Jim was saying as well about. We don't know how successful Mr. Corbyn is at the ballot box. You know, if you're a white van driver in Rotherham, reader of the Sun or the Daily Mail, which, you know, are very Eurosceptic papers and they read a lot about immigration, the EU and the red tape. You know, it's the red tape on the one hand, you've got workers' rights. On the other hand, you've got this idea that it's limiting growth and holding back small businesses. How is Mr Corbyn going to tackle those arguments?
5: I think it is going to be difficult for him to take the immigration argument head-on, definitely. But I think he's got to get into these heartlands because, remember, UKIP came second to Labour in a lot of seats. And actually, it's very important for Corbyn to go out there and start engaging with people. And I think for as many people as are worried about immigration, I think the workers' rights argument is quite powerful as well. But you're right, he is untested in it with those um, kinds of people. The sun readers the people who are worried about immigration, but he has still got to get involved. He's absolutely going to be critical, I think, for young people as well in terms of getting the vote out.
4: I think Jeremy Corbyn's very lucky that UKIP is an often shambolic organisation, only has one MP. It's just not credible. It doesn't have much in the way of grassroots supporters, especially up north. And therefore, when Labour goes up against it in 2020, I don't see UKIP taking any seats. But if UKIP
1: was a professional organisation with 150 MPs already, Labour should be really worried about that. I agree with you. And what was interesting, one of the questions that the press did take at that thing was about, do you think there's been too much immigration in this country? And Jeremy Corbyn gave his honest answer, which was, no, I don't think there have... Been too many people come. And you can see UKIP using that in the future of that line because I think other Labour leaders might have been a bit more careful how they answer that. But one thing Mr Corbyn does, you ask him a question, you normally get an honest answer. There are going to be a lot of
4: people with very large dossiers about Mr Corbyn next time there's a general election. Um, let's wait and see if he's
1: still leader then. That is a good point. Now, one thing I should is, interesting about the referendum campaign over the next two months is that Momentum, the organisation that brought Jeremy Corbyn to power, its critics say it's sort of entryist militant type organisation. Others say it is what's bringing us this kind of new politics that we now live in. They are sitting out this referendum. They have said they are not going to campaign for this. They're campaigning for Sadiq Khan in London. They're campaigning for Labour at the local elections. But they have not said they're going to get out and campaign for a Remain vote. Is that significant, though? Because it does strike me that a lot of people who are not going to be out there campaigning for what Mr Corbyn wants.
5: I think it's a really big thing, actually. And I think it is not OK for Momentum to be sitting this out. This is of fundamental importance to the future of Britain. And lots of the things that party members care about, trade union members care about, Momentum members care about, are workers' rights. It's, a, it's an absolute bedrock of, sort of socialism in this country. And it seems extraordinary that Momentum have been like, yeah, yeah, we're not going to bother campaigning for this because actually it's more important than a general election in many ways.
4: The the only thing I'd point out though is that Momentum seems like a fairly big organisation, but it's not a membership organisation or it's it's starting to become one. It's an organisation that people kind of tick on Facebook or they like on Twitter and they don't really do much kind of door-by-door, door-knocking, street organisation, and they're not good at that stuff at all. And I've heard examples of kind of MPs where there's been a massive event and five or 600 people came and someone said, right, we're going to go door knocking now. And in one example, only six of those individuals out of 500 actually went out there and did the difficult hard work.
5: But I think that's the point of Momentum. If Momentum wants to get involved in politics and it spends a lot of time sort of threatening MPs and criticising MPs and, you know, nobody is, is good enough in terms of what they're doing. They sort of have to put their money where their mouth is. And a lot of politics is not just being on Facebook and abusing people on social media. It's actually getting on the doorstep, knocking on doors, talking to people, persuading them of an argument. And I think it is a time for actually momentum to be tested. Does it want to be a powerful political force? And it has to get out, mobilise and get on the doorstep.
1: Jim, one thing that we've seen recently is the rise of John McDonnell as well, who's the shadow chancellor, who's becoming more powerful in the party, also winning momentum on side as well. And he's also got similar traditional views to Mr Corbyn on the EU. What do you expect to see of him of anything during the referendum? I think at the end of the
4: day, John McDonnell, although he now sits in a position of power, is still not someone who wields massive influence on the public at large. And I I don't think it's the the big disaster that he's not there in the way that it would have been if Corbyn had sat it out. But just one thing that's quite interesting, which is happening below the radar, which I think listeners might be interested in, is that when you look at the people who sit in shadow ministerial positions in Labour, a lot of quite senior, well-known figures stepped down last summer because they thought they were not replaceable because they were well-known and very talented individuals. Very slowly, you've seen people who took those places, who might have been backbench MPs in another world, who are doing shadow ministerial jobs, and they're providing this ballast for Corbyn. And the sort of normalisation of Corbyn and people starting to think this is quite normal to have this guy... Uh, a kind of totally unreconstructed socialist running the Labour Party. They're getting used to it and that's quite dangerous for the people who would love to overthrow him.
5: I definitely agree with um, Jim. I think John McDonnell will get involved. I actually bumped into him last week and had a chat about this. He said that he was um, very concerned about the EU referendum and he absolutely did think that um, he and Jeremy had to step up and that's what they were you know, planning to do. So I think he will be playing a part and I think he should do.
1: And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you to all our guests for joining. We'll be back next Saturday for another Another instalment of FT Politics. Thank you for listening.
2: If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com/podcasts most days of the week.